Sit right down and I'll show you where my dreams begin. Welcome to the Voice for Chefs podcast. I'm your host, Michael Dugan, and I'm thrilled to present our very first food talk show. Today's episode is a live, meticulously edited pre-recording from our engaging discussion on food as religion in the Clubhouse app. I want to extend a special thanks to Chef Mimi Lan and all the incredible members who have made our club a thriving community of over 7,800 passionate individuals from around the globe. Together, we comprise chefs, culinary artists, and devoted food enthusiasts who love nothing more than engaging in conversations about cooking and all things food-related. Without further ado, let's dive into our captivating interview. It is my great pleasure to introduce you to the extraordinary indigenous Andean chef, Andrea Murdoch. Not only is she an accomplished author, guest lecturer, and the owner of Four Directions Cuisine, but she also serves as a moderator, host, and dear friend to Food as Religion. Andrea is a true powerhouse of knowledge and expertise in the culinary world. So please join me in warmly welcoming Andrea Murdoch to our virtual stage. Thank you so much, Michael. Maria, Ingrid, thank you so much for having me here. Delighted and excited that you're here. I know that you're working and I want to visualize what's going on there. Uh, Yes. So uh, I participate in a farmer's market every couple of weeks. Um, I work with, or I should say I'm a chef participant with um, a shop called Ruby's Market on South Pearl Street in Denver, Colorado. And uh, the shop owner and creator, Michelle Lasnier, she specifically um, curates her shop from refugee uh, and other immigrant women who are just, you know, we're small-time entrepreneurs. We're just doing what we can. Um, Some of us are supporting children and families. Some are just, you know, flying solo, but that's still a lot of work too. Um, So I'm here at the farmer's market. I packed up just a pinch early uh, so I could chat with you wonderful folks. And it is like a dog parade at these farmer's markets. And everybody is just such a good dog parent too. It's it's really beautiful to to be out here on, on Sundays just to see that hustle and bustle, see all the beautiful local produce, the farmers are selling it themselves, Um, fresh cut flowers, people have all of these, you know, beautiful uh, market baskets. None of them look alike. So you can tell that they've purchased them from, you know, uh, makers themselves or shops like Ruby's Market that sells these, you know, handmade goods. It's, it's really incredible. It's a lot of fun. And we're usually here from, you know, about eight until just shy of two in the afternoon. And so it's uh, it's more or less a full day, but it's it's so beautiful and it's wonderful to to chat with folks and and the connections that you make are really wonderful. Um, you know, just chatting with people, people who you know your work resonates with them, or they thank you for your work. Um, especially you know when I come across other indigenous folks and they you know come to my table and you know they're like, oh, I, I know what that symbol is. That's the Chicana cross, or oh, I know where that comes from, or you know, just whatever it is. And just that, that connection is, is important and and so beautiful. Can you walk us through your table, your setup? I know it's extremely creative and engaging. Can you just give us a visualization of, of what it looks like out there? 
Sure. Uh, so I always have some sort of, you know, native pattern tablecloth, or I, I sometimes bring the, uh, the cacao sacks that have all the beautiful, you know, decorations painted on them, you know, when shipping and, you know, those burlap sacks. And so I'll have, you know, two different uh, baseball hats or trucker hats, I should say, on the table. One is camo back, you know, above the opening, it says not all wounds are visible. And it has a little teal ribbon on the side. And that was created for just mental health awareness in general, in conjunction with my warrior goddess dinner that I host every May to raise funds for National Indigenous Women's Resource Center. Then the other hat is my 2022 MMIW hat, G2S, I should add. Uh, it stands for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls and Two Spirits. Um, I am a two-spirit woman, so that's important work to me as well. Uh, and then I have my blue cornmeal sugar cookies in, you know, a craft paper bag with the, the little window opening so you can see that beautiful blue. And I always share with folks that I source my blue corn and yellow corn from the Ute tribe here in southwestern Colorado. And then I also have two of my three flavors of Inca Trail Mix. And that one's special. It took me about five years or more to bring that to market because they're just, there was a niche, but people weren't ready for it. So I love that because it's my pre-colonial answer to the very European uh, oat-based granola. And it's much more nutrient-dense and lower in carbohydrates because of the ingredients I'm using. So I utilize Colorado-grown um, organic quinoa, use popped amaranth that I do pop myself on the stovetop. If you've ever done that, you know it's labor-intensive, but it's also a lot of fun. What is amaranth? Ah, amaranth is uh, a crop that is indigenous to South America, to the Andes specifically. It's actually a seed, even though it's usually um, discussed as a grain. And it's roughly the size of a, of a poppy seed. And so when you get it into a pan that has the right heat to it, they start to dance and pop just like popcorn. But they're even more delicate than popcorn is, the corn kernels. Uh, so you can definitely uh, overtoast them. And I myself even burn the first batch, sometimes the second batch too. So it's, a, it's definitely a trial and error thing for your first uh, time or two. Wow. Well, I, now I feel like I want to be at the market, like right now. I know <laughs> I don't like a lot of heat. My wife will tell you, I, I get what's called heat attitude when it gets really hot. <laughs> um, but I'm more like a 70s, 80s kind of guy and past 80 degrees. Oh, that's why we live in Seattle. It's pretty mild, mild climate, but we're heading for some pretty hot temperatures too. So moving on, why don't you take us back a little bit and share a little bit about your backstory and may we take a walk with you through your life? Sure, sure. Uh, so I am originally from, uh, I was born in Caracas, Venezuela, but my indigeneity is from the San Cristobal region, which is on the western side of Venezuela, eastern border of Colombia. I was actually adopted by an, an American army family. Adopted when I was six or nine weeks. I always forget which one it is. I always know it's in increments of three, though. And then we... We left Venezuela because it was, you know, an active war zone. My father's orders got changed. Um, they barely got me out of the country uh, because my adoption wasn't finalized. And so my dad had orders to go to El Salvador. And my, my parents were coming up with contingency plans if my adoption wasn't finalized yet. 
Uh, but fortunately, all the paperwork got through in time, and all three of us traveled to El Salvador. We spent shy of three years there, I believe, because we came back. To, we came to the states uh, to live permanently when I was about three years old. And so, um, if you can imagine this little Andina living in middle of nowhere Ohio, that was that was me growing up when I was in middle school father and I started watching Emerald Live on Food Network. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. So much fun. Um, you know, that was our that was our father-daughter time, you know, so eight o'clock Eastern Standard Time on weekdays, we would watch Chef Emerald uh, live cook. And, you know, back then we had the dial-up AOL and, uh, you know, the whole house knew it if if you were logging on to to print a recipe or something like that. And that's that's what we would do. We'd, we'd decide, you know, what recipes we wanted to try, if any, and, and then we would try them. So it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. It was um, a cool way to bond because otherwise my father and I would talk about Latin American politics, um, which uh, have, have fun imagining a 12 year old talk, talk Latin American politics with her um, Lieutenant Colonel army father. <laughs> because his major at West Point was uh, political science. <laughs> so oh my the, gosh. Up until Emerald Live, that was our father-daughter bonding time. <laughs> so the food was the savior. It really was. Food and Emerald was kind of the savior, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I was having very adult conversations about Latin American politics when I was, you know, a young teenager. <laughs> yeah, I got, I just got the, I was bit with the food bug and, um, I've been I've been cooking for 20 years, almost 21. I've I've never looked back through all the uh, the 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 chaos and the mess and the insanity, yeah. but also you know all of the um, overwhelmingly awesome things that just would not have happened um, outside of a kitchen. You know, just the the personal growth and the exploration, and um, you know even the damage. You know, even the trauma from uh, kitchens teaches us a lot. So, um, it's been, it's been quite the journey and I am beyond excited to see what the next chapter has in store for me. So when, when you connected to Emerald, was that, was that a time that you started cooking at an early age? Do you remember the first dish you, you remember, ever remember cooking? Uh, I'm, I'm sure it was something, something along the lines of cookies, you know, or coffee cake, um, with my mother, actually coffee cake is a very, very possible first, first dish that I ever made. I was uh, oddly enough because my parents are not foodies by any stretch of the imagination. Food has always been a focal point for me. Um, my father used to brew his own beer and I remember sitting in the middle of our kitchen, like the actual cooking space, not where we, we sat for meals, but remember, you know, pulling a, a chair from the kitchen table into the middle of the actual like physical cooking space. And my dad had his, uh, you know, brand new, uh, trash can and it was lined and he had his, uh, you know, fermented, you know, his base, his brew base in there and he was siphoning it into, all of these uh, reclaimed bottles, all of these flip tops, um, you know, that he had gotten here, there and everywhere. I know that some of them came from Germany when he and my mother were stationed there. And uh, it was just really cool to just, you know, sit on, sit in a kitchen chair and watch my dad 
uh, you know, make beer and just to watch that process beginning, middle, end. And then of course for it to, to be sitting in racks in the basement. Um, and every once in a while they'd get a little too, uh, a little too yeasty and active and we would hear one burst, uh, which was always funny if we were watching movies on a Friday night and all of a sudden we hear pop. Andrea, I did not expect this. This is awesome. This is this is like really where it all started. I, I get it. You know, it's funny because I made my mom, I burnt a coffee cake and I made it for my mom. That's the first thing I ever remember. So we're, we're connected in another way that I didn't even realize. That's really cool. Absolutely. I've watched, uh, you know, the process of food, the process of even beverage um, since I was, uh, gosh, I was younger than 10. Yeah, I think I was younger than 10 when uh, all of these uh, memories started, um, at least the ones that I can actually remember. Uh, there are a few memories from El Salvador that my mother has has had to tell me, like picking lemons off of the, the neighbor's tree and just sitting underneath the tree in, in El Salvador, you know, sucking on these fresh lemons. And they are nowhere near as tart and sour as if you were to do that here in the U.S. Like you can't, you can't grab a lemon from the grocery store and do that. You're going to be in for, for uh, quite the surprise, but they're they're different when you pick them right off the tree and they're different when you pick them right off the tree in the U S versus, um, in the tropics. <laughs> and I remember my mom, uh, telling me about a, a fair skinned little boy who, who would do the same thing, except his skin was so fair that the acid in the juice dripping down his arms would actually give him, uh, it would advance what the sun was doing and it would actually give him, uh, like mild sunburns on his forearms because the, the, oh my the juice, yeah, the juice was real, you know, not, nothing like, uh, you know, if he got burned like by a flame or anything like that, but you could tell it was the combination of the, the sun and, uh, that acid, you know, fruit juice just rolling down his forearms. He would, he would burn, but I had no problems because I'm Andina. <laughs> wow. You know, it, it's funny when you talk about these foods, I remember, reading an article i read several by the way and watched a few videos you have a lot of great information out there about your background and and everything around indigenous cuisine you were talking about carrot juice and you got really excited about it in your writing it was a carrot juice i think it was yeah it was carrot carrot and orange juice combined and that was like freshly squeezed and can you share a little bit about that yeah, yeah. Uh, so probably the first time my folks took me back to Latin America, I was a junior in high school. Um, there, there's no, there was no chance, and still is no chance of me going to Venezuela because um, it's it's more or less imploded. It's difficult to, it's highly difficult to get out. It's difficult to get in. You also don't want to go in. It's uh, the whole country is a war zone, which is really sad because it's actually a very, very rich country. Uh, so it's sad to to see what's happened um, from from the political standpoint and how it's trickled down to our citizens. I remember going to Guatemala with my parents. I was about seventeen years old, junior in high school, and we were touring around the country. We were in um, a little mercado. And we were walking, walking through, just you know, taking in everything. And we stop at this uh, this juice stand, and there are just crates on crates on crates of fresh produce. You know full well somebody picked it in in the past twenty four hours. And um, you know, you order what it is that you want. You know, zanahoria, carrot, 
naranja, orange, and they put it through their machine and they juice it for you right there, hand it to you in a cup. It is the freshest flavor bomb that I have ever experienced. And so fast forward, what, 15 plus years later, um, I wanted to create a dessert for a fundraising uh, dinner that I was, I was putting on, I think it was Indigenous People's Day. And um, I just, I wanted to take a walk down memory lane. Um, and so I created City Walk is, is what I call the dish. And it's, you know, this, this chocolate ganache, but it's made with, you know, full fat coconut milk out of the can. Um, and then I make a carrot orange jelly and a carrot orange curd. And I make a little concha and I deconstruct that. So it's like pieces of the concha bread, but also the crumble instead of it, you know, the cookie being baked on top of the concha. It's just such a cool deconstructed dessert. And as people are kind of taking pieces and experience the different elements separately and together, I'm explaining the story that I've just shared with you all. And just the look on their faces, I can tell that they can visualize that they're there. And that's how I know that I did my job well. You know, it's funny. That's what I remember was City Walk and the dessert and and this connection. And I know you do that with a lot of your cuisine, which I think is is really unique as a chef. You know, I interview a lot of chefs and I don't hear that connection as much. That's really, really powerful. Talking about becoming a chef, how and why did you become an Indigenous Indian chef? Uh, whew. That one is, that's a fun story. It's loaded, <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, yeah, it's loaded. Uh, you've done enough uh, of a deep dive on me in my career that you and know. You don't have to go too deep <laughs> if you don't want to. We're good. I okay. I, I like sharing the story, and I'm, I also have an easier time sharing the story now. Um, uh, and it's been so long. And I also like sharing the story because it helps other people. Um, I know that me hearing... Uh, other people's stories, uh, them being an underdog as well, or them going through trauma. I'm just like, you know what? I, I, I got this. I can do it. It's just a tough day, tough week, whatever it may be. In part two, we invite you to follow along with Andrea Murdoch and discover how she evolved into an independent indigenous Indian chef who inspires the world around us. Thanks for joining us today. Follow us on Facebook. Find our website in the show notes. Subscribe on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen. Leave a comment with five stars and stay tuned for the next episode of Voice for Chefs. 